love Jodi Moore. For our listeners, we're obsessed with her. We've been listening for a long time, but we just wanted to get a little bit of background on yourself, kind of where you're from, your family, and for those of our listeners who don't know you, what you do for a living. Yeah. Okay. Um, I grew up in Spokane, Washington, member of the church, uh, born and raised in the church. And, um, I thought I was going to go to BYU because when you live outside of Utah, that's kind of what you think, but I didn't get into BYU, um, which was heartbreaking at the time, but turned out to be a really good thing. So I, after high school, I went to Utah state, lived in Utah for a while, ended up in California where I met my husband and we lived there for a, a pretty long time. And then I just moved back to Spokane a few years ago. So I've lived in a few places. I am um, best known as a life coach. I have a podcast as well called Better Than Happy. That's probably how most people know me. Um, But I started that podcast because of my life coaching practice. And I'll just say that, I don't know about you girls, but when people hear the term life coach, you're sort of like, that sounds weird. What does that even mean? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's because you can get all kinds of things that would fall under that title. Um, The work that I do is helping people uh, with mental and emotional maintenance and strengthening Um, and so I use certain tools that I learned at coach training just to help people become more aware of their thoughts and their feelings and knowing how to navigate all of that to solve problems and achieve goals. And I'm just pretty lucky that I get to do what I do. I love it. Yeah, I love it as well. I love what you do. It's helped me a lot for sure. Listening to your podcast and all your, you know, advice about, like you said, emotional mental health. It's amazing what you do. So we love it. Oh, thank you. And we also wanted to ask you, how did you gain a testimony? Like, what was that like? Because you were raised in the church, but mm-hmm. I feel like for everyone, there's kind of a point where you kind of have to figure it out for yourself. So for when sure. was that point for you in your life? That is such a good question. I'm one of these people that I would say gain my testimony slowly. I can't point to like specific you know, a specific experience, but I did have experiences growing up where I felt the spirit. Um, and I'm really grateful for those because I think I recognized, you know, sometimes there were even times when I was really struggling or maybe somebody in my family was really struggling and things, things seemed to be going really wrong. And there were moments of this sort of peaceful, like everything's going to be okay. I just felt that. And I, I didn't have any reason to believe that. I don't know. I didn't know where that was coming from. To me, that was the spirit, like just telling me that I'm loved, that, um, you know, that Heavenly Father is aware of all of us and that everything is going to be okay in the end. So I had a handful of those experiences, again, either in dealing with challenges and trials. Also, I always liked sort of this the stake um, youth conferences. I went to EFY, those kinds of oh, things. Don't we're, we love EFY? Do you? We are like, like big believers in EFY. We're big promoters of EFY. Me too. I guess AFY now, right? Or, um, or FSY. What is it now? It's FSY. FSY. That's right. I survived mission in England and they always called it FSY there. So I was kind of already used to it. Those British, they're so ahead of us. Right? They're always ahead. Always. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I I loved, I I mean, it was things like that, that, that helped me feel what the spirit felt like. And then I carried that into my adult life. And so that's kind of how I gained my testimony. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Because I think, 
I think Kenna and I have had similar experiences. It's not just this one moment right. where you all of a sudden believe in what's happening. It's these little things throughout your life, feeling peaceful, um, feeling the spirit. Like you said, going to EFY. I mean, that's why I'm a huge believer in it. Because I think mm-hmm. in growing up in California, like we both did and not being around as many members as maybe some people that live in Utah or other places, it was so cool to go to EFY and everyone there like was trying to do their best and believed mm-hmm. like similar things to you. And you had the coolest leaders. And I mean, we went and John, by the way, was there and Dave Butler, just really cool people. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love that you share that because I do think it comes gradually yeah. for most people. Totally. And I had that same experience of you of living outside of Utah and then going, oh, there are other people like me. And of course, there are members of the church everywhere. But I, I don't know. There's something about being in a concentrated place of people yeah. with similar values. That's just really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is so true. And how has your testimony affected your life and how does it affect your work? Um, Good question. Well, it, it affects my life a lot because it, it helps hopefully navigate the choices that I make. It helps yeah. me, you know, and, and this is an interesting thing as a business owner, so one of the things that business coaches teach is you need to have a sort of a vision or mission for why you're doing what you're doing. I mean, obviously a business is trying to generate revenue, but it has to be more than that, or it's just not inspiring and it's not worth all the effort. Yeah. So they have you get clear about like, why am I doing what I'm doing? And so for example, in my business, I'm trying to empower people who are members of my church or have similar values um, with tools to make us mentally and emotionally stronger. And that excites me. Being a part of that excites me. And so I make decisions through that lens. If somebody comes along and says, like when you girls approach me and say, will you come on my podcast? Well, your podcast really lines up well with my vision. So it's yeah. a really easy yes, right? And there are some other situations that just don't line up with my vision. And so it helps me make decisions. And that, that's how I view the gospel in my personal life. Like, why I am I even, uh, why are we here? What are we trying to do? And hopefully we filter all of our decisions through that lens. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean, and just so you know, you've impacted us. And I would say even inspired us to like want to share our testimonies. So your work that you're doing does matter. And it's, it's seen through, through us in a way. And through oh, that we know. that's so. so nice. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you start bringing your religion into like what you guys, what you girls are doing on your podcast or what I'm doing in my business. It, it, did you guys ever feel like nervous or, I mean, you titled your podcast gospel gals. So I guess people know yeah. what you're going to get. But was that scary to you to think about putting a podcast out there? Like your friends are going to yeah. hear it. Oh, Jody, we make fun of ourselves all the time. It, it was hard <laughs> at first because we we knew it was a good idea. Yeah. There's a lot of church podcasts, but not a lot with young people like us. I mean, yes. we're probably one of the only podcasts with early 20 year, 20 year old people. And so we knew it was a good idea. We knew that us together have a really cool dynamic because we are similar, but we have different opinions. But we were really at first self-conscious. We're like, oh my gosh, we're going to have to post on our actual personal Instagrams. We're starting a gospel podcast. And we were like, people are going to make fun of us behind our back. And, And then finally, I remember my husband was like, okay, so what? Like, so what if they make fun of you behind their back? They're going to make fun of you for having a gospel podcast. That's so stupid. Like you're doing a great thing. And so we kind of just had a just get over it and just yes. be like, no, we, we love it. And we're doing this good thing. But yeah, it was definitely like, 
very nerve wracking initially. And even yeah. sometimes still now we're still a little embarrassed when people are like, Oh, you have a podcast. And we're like, Oh, we don't want to talk about the it. Absolute, <laughs> the absolute worst slash best experience. One of my, my friends was like, Jess, my cousin, I was talking about you. And she was like, how do you know Jess Inkeman? And she's like, Oh, she's married to my cousin. And she was like, well, she's a gospel gal. Like, how do you know her? Like, I love her <laughs> podcast. And I was like, Oh my goodness. We, were like, we don't know if we're like so excited that someone across the country is listening or if we're like yes. really embarrassed that someone across the country is listening. Right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I can relate to all of this so much. Yeah. Yeah. Because you so, start putting work out there and then it feels like it's your identity. And that's yeah. scary to us because while, of course, obviously the gospel is an important part of all of our lives, it's still scary to think like, wait, that's now I'm putting myself in this box of this is yeah. how people know me. This is who I am. And then the truth is we are all uh, made up of a lot of parts of us. Right. And yeah. so, yeah, I think for me, I had that experience when I, when I started my coaching practice, I really wanted to coach members of the church because I liked working with, um, people who had those same values. I liked that, you know, for example, if I'm helping someone through their marriage problems, they want to know that I understand how their marriage, how their religion, I should say, impacts their yeah. marriage and the way they view marriage in general. And so it seemed like a good fit, but I was nervous about like, is that how I want to be known? Like, yeah, you know, but I'm well, so I mean, glad I did because it's, it, yeah, it's just really powerful to marry the two. Absolutely. And I think religion is definitely a polarizing topic. Yeah. Um, maybe not in Utah where we're living, because we can bet that someone across the street probably is a member of the church. But it is a polarizing topic, just really putting these stances out there and our beliefs. And to some people, they seem like ludicrous and crazy, you know, and right. so it's it's definitely nerve wracking. But I guess my question to you um, will be, how would you help people or encourage people who are trying to grow their faith, but just maybe have some concerns or doubts and, and are not sure if they can still be a part of the church with mm -hmm. those things. I think that we're coming to understand more and more that concerns and doubts are not a bad thing. Um, I think we used to view them as like, oh no, that's scary. And and we don't want to go there in our minds or, or we're told not to entertain questions and doubts. But I think that that for many, many people is a part of the journey to finding your own testimony. And so I think that if you can not be afraid of questions that come up in your mind, not be afraid of uh, the dilemmas that your brain or people, other people might offer you, then they can be a way that you really take a deep dive into the doctrine and into um, your relationship with uh, our heavenly parents and with Christ, and they can actually be the vehicle by which you gain a deep testimony. So I, I just don't think there's anything wrong with having questions. Even for some people, that means um, a time away from the church. It means leaving the church yeah. for a time. I, I just don't think that the journey of, of developing your testimony or your relationship with Christ looks any one way. That's such a good perspective. I feel like that is one of the things that's really hard today in the church is that there are a lot of things that, you know, people talk about on social media or just a lot of things that it's hard for people to figure out, like, well, is that true? Do I believe that? Do I want to yeah. be a part of that? Mm -hmm. um, so it's so interesting that you say it is true. Like everyone's faith journey looks different. Yes. And I love how they talked about it a lot. I feel like they the church has brought it up more on like conference and things like that where oh, yeah. they 
talk about doubts. Now they say, you know, yes. it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. Um, I love that. I don't know who said it, but someone said, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Mm-hmm. And I love that one. Like, thinking, that, yeah, yeah, I think it was yeah. Dorf. But mm-hmm. I love that because, and someone recently said, like, if you have doubts, discuss it with like President people Nelson. that have faith, not other yeah. doubters. Mm-hmm. Well, I, like I mean, yeah, too. you have to be careful because there you can easily find people to um, validate whatever you want to believe. Yes, you absolutely. Can. Especially with the internet. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Media, yeah. And, and, and that's the part I like to try to empower people with is to remember that what you want to believe about a topic like religion, that we, we're never going to be able to prove it true in this life. And we're never going to be able to prove it not true in this life. Yeah. It's not provable, right? Yeah. And so in the end, it is a choice that you get to make about what you want to believe. It's not just a sifting through to find quote unquote, what's true only because like I said, it's not going to be provable in this lifetime. So it's a choice. So if you want to find proof or validation, I should say, or people that will offer you reasons why the church is not true, you can find it for sure. And if you want to find people offering you reasons why it is true, you can find that too. So in the end, it's your choice, what you want to believe. And I you know, this is maybe an unpopular way to think about it, but I, I honestly just, I'm pretty comfortable with the ambiguity of things like religion. So I'm comfortable going, you know what, living this way makes my life better. And I do believe that in the next life, we'll find that it is all proven true. But if for some reason that's not the case, all right, well, it made my life better living this way. Absolutely. I mean, something that I love and McKenna and I, I have touched on in later episodes is I think it's okay not to know everything. I feel like we're in yeah. this world of just like constantly needing to know every little thing and yeah. we can get it. I mean, I want to know when George Washington was born, I can look it up on my phone and have the answer in two seconds. Yeah. And I think we're, it's the habit of like social media and just this knowledge it's made people want big questions like faith mm-hmm. to be answered easily when like faith is such a complex and big thing, it's, it's funny. Why would it be answered easily? It's something that like you mentioned, yeah, it's a lifelong journey. Mm -hmm. And that's the point. I mean, the point of faith and testimony, in in my opinion, is that struggle of like, Hey, I have questions. I have doubts. Okay. How am I going to fix these things? How am I going to grow from it and become more comfortable? You know, it's like you said, ambiguity. Like, I think that is, that is a purpose and that's the same on your faith journey. And I think that you need to be more okay with not knowing everything and and humble ourselves. That's exactly right. And can I just like give a shameless plug for my new book real quickly? Yes. (laughs) Because there's a a whole chapter in my book on this. I have a book uh, that just came out called Better Than Happy. And there's a chapter on faith. And so exactly what you just said is what I dive into. But I talk about how that serves us in so many areas of our life, not just with our spiritual progress, but being able to believe in things that I can't prove that I sort of have no business believing is the reason that I've been able to create a really successful business because I I let myself believe that I can achieve things that other people would say, that's unrealistic. That's not possible. And so faith is is obviously important for our spiritual journey, but it's a skill that will make your life here on earth even 
10 times more amazing. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I, I love what you said about you. It makes your life happy. Yes. And, and I mean, this is all of our listeners are going to laugh because I say this all the time, but <laughs> it's the plan of happiness. Like yes. this gospel is supposed to make us happy. We're supposed to be joyful. We're supposed to laugh. We're going to have struggles. It's not going to be easy, but we're supposed to be happy. And I, I think being a part of the church and something that I love so much is I am able to be happy despite everything. Mm. I'm able to have a perspective. And so I love that. And I can't wait to buy your book. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Just a little shameless plug there. Is it out already? or It's out now. You can get it at Desert Book or on Amazon. It's going to be in Costco pretty soon. It's going to be at Costco. Well, in, in Costco in Utah. Jody, you're famous. I feel really proud that I made it to Costco. That's, That's awesome. Amazing. Yeah, I, honestly, I'd be most excited about Costco. I am. It's like, it's Costco. It's I know, Costco. right? We love Costco. We're going to have to go buy that. We should go oh, back to this. We're going to go episode. get it. All right. So also, I had another question kind of similar, but kind of different also. Okay. Um, What would you say to people who, you know, are in the gospel, want to be in the gospel, but have been offended by someone or church culture, you know, they disagree mm-hmm. with some things, but they want to be in the gospel. Yes. What would you say to someone like struggling with that? I think a part of our development spiritually, as we sort of grow up spiritually, is to start to recognize the difference between um, culture and doctrine mm-hmm. and that they are not the same. And and it's, uh, it's sometimes tough to separate out the two. Um, yeah. I heard a talk by Anthony Sweat once. Didn't you, you guys familiar with Anthony Sweat? I don't I'm recognize not. that name. He's awesome. Um, he's a uh, he's at BYU, and but he has an Instagram page. And anyway, he one time talked about how do we know if it's doctrine? Because if if it comes from one of our prophets or apostles in conferences, that considered doctrine, and they're human beings as well who are imperfect, and um, you know, even some things have changed over the course of time. And so he gave some. I thought pretty good guidelines that came from the scriptures. I don't have the scriptures off the top of my head, but it, it talks about that. It will be, it will be said multiple times by yeah. multiple people, right? The Lord uses multiple witnesses and multiple voices to share a message. And so even just one thing that, that one general authority says in, in conference can fall under the, the category of culture. Mm-hmm. And, um, culture by nature is created by people. And so it's messy and imperfect. I like that. Doctrine is not doctrine is sound and pure and never changes. Yeah. Um, but you have to learn to navigate the difference. Yeah. I mean, what would be like advice for you who, how to navigate that? You know what I mean? Like, what are some, do you have good sources for, for finding that? I'm just curious. Well, I like to, so a lot of times the way it comes up in my work is I'll, I'll be coaching someone. Let's say, for example, I'm coaching a woman who says, well, you know, in the church, they say that we should stay home with our kids if we can. Mm-hmm. So we throw out statements like that a lot. Like the church teaches this or the church says that. Yeah. And I just like to pause and question it. Like, really? Is that true? Does the church, what do we mean by the church? Like, yeah, uh, you know, we, and, say that. Yeah, and we oversimplify a message and distill it down into one sentence. Like if you're a woman and you can, you should stay home with your kids. Well, yeah. there's a lot more to it than that. 
Yeah. So I like to challenge people to just be careful about um, not questioning your own brain when it tells you things like that. Is that really what the church teaches or am I leaving a part out? And does that mean that I'm supposed to be at home with my kids? And so it's, it's really just being aware of your own brain and you don't have to question everything your brain tells you, but there's going to be like 2% probably that is creating a problem. I, I see women do this too with, they use it as a way to sort of put distance in their marriages. They'll say, my husband hasn't been able to keep a job. And you know, our church teaches that it's the, whatever it says in the the proclamation of the family, right? It's the, the husband Men should provide. Yeah. yeah. And I say, okay, but let's just like be careful about oversimplifying what are really complex topics. And, and again, like, do you think that the prophet and the apostles sat down and said, let's write a document that will justify women resenting their husbands if they don't work? <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that wasn't the purpose of it. Yeah. And, and when we misuse even these amazing tools that we have, that's what the adversary wants us to do. He's like, you should resent him. It says right here in the proclamation. Mm -hmm. And, um, we just have to be really careful. Any tool that can be useful and help us can also be misused, um, even with best of intentions and cause more harm. Wow. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think also going, you know, to good sources, I know that for me, like, I'll go to my dad and ask questions or even your yeah. bishop. I mean, I've had friends go talk with their bishop and, you know, just kind of wanted to hash things out. I think that's totally fine. Go there and maybe not hash things out. That sounds kind of dramatic, but going there and with like an honest heart, I mean like, Hey, this confuses me or this bothers me. Like, yes. I love this gospel. I love Jesus Christ. Like I love the core of the gospel. How do I, you know, either learn to be okay with this or have more of an understanding. And I think like personal revelation is, is huge with this topic. Like mm -hmm. if you're searching and you're seeking and you're studying it out, um, I've seen things be confirmed through personal revelation to me. Um, and that is, is so powerful. Absolutely. And don't you think like if, you know, I hear, hear people say, well, you know, I can't in relief society, raise my hand and say, I don't know about this. It doesn't feel right to me I, or question anything. And I say, why not? I mean, yeah. of all the places, shouldn't church be the place where we say, I want to understand this, but this part doesn't seem right. Can we talk through it? Somebody's going to have to go first. You know, yeah. somebody's going to have to be the brave one to raise their hand and say, I want to, not that we're trying to argue or debate anything, but it, it is appropriate to have those discussions in Relief Society or Gospel Doctrine, or like you said, with your bishop in your Temple Recommend interview, they're starting to ask that. Do you have questions about anything? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's healthy to think through and to truly know it for yourself. You have to uh, give yourself space to answer those kinds of questions. I yeah, love I love the, you talked about kind of culture versus doctrine. And mm -hmm. I think that's such an important thing to remember too, when anyone's struggling with this, is that, yeah, the doctrine, you know, is set by God. It doesn't really change. It has to be repeated multiple times. There's ways to tell if something's doctrine mm -hmm. and culture is just the people, like you That's said. Right. And I think it's so important to remember that people are so imperfect. Like right. you're going to have bishops, yeah. you're going to have teachers that do sometimes say the wrong thing, or, you know, maybe they do say something offensive. And I just think it's important to kind of give them grace and just remember like they're human too. Working through imperfect people. Yeah, yeah. they're not right. perfect. And you might be offended by something they say, but that doesn't mean the gospel's not true, yeah. you know? Well, and I would even add to that, 
me and McKenna did an episode on what is doctrine and the church has resources. If you look up doctrine on the gospel library, they'll break down what that means. So mm-hmm. just for people who like maybe are unsure, there is resources and it'll break down exactly what doctrine is, um, which is helpful if you're curious. I love it. It's all, it's just so important. And luckily we have the internet today. So it's a lot easier (laughs) to do that. So good. So (laughs) we have a few episodes on mental health. Okay. We know you focus on that as well. Um, I think it's just such a common thing today to Mm have, you know, struggle with mental health. So we just had some questions about mental health um, and the gospel. Like, how do you find peace in the gospel, even if you are struggling with mental health issues? Mm-hmm. And mainly anxiety and depression, I think, is kind of what we're referring yeah. to. But Okay. Yeah. Well, I will say this. One of the mistakes, I think, that has been made in the past um, by, again, church members with the best of intentions. But I, I feel like we inadvertently sent this message that... If you just pray and read your scriptures and and stay close to the spirit and go to the temple or whatever, do these things, then you'll feel better. Yeah. And that those are important things to do and they can help a lot. But there are also many other things necessary in many cases to feel better. So I've unfortunately seen a lot of people with anxiety and depression feel bad that maybe they're just not righteous enough. They're not doing enough because if they were, wouldn't they be feeling better? Yeah. And I don't think that's the message that, um, that God intended or that even most people intended to put out there that the mental illness is real. There are chemical hormonal imbalances in the body that require treatment in whatever, you know, clinical way you choose to treat those things. And we have amazing tools and resources in the world today to treat those things. There are tools like the tools I teach that are not necessarily, are definitely not clinical and not treating um, mental illness, but are still necessary for many people um, along with reading your scriptures and saying your prayers and doing all those things. So it's sort of, if you think about physical health, I think we all understand it with physical health. We understand, no, I need to occasionally go to the gym and drink more water and pay attention to what Uh I'm putting in my body or, or I'm going to get physically sick, no matter how much I pray, how much I read my scriptures, my body is subject to the laws of this earth. And if I don't take care of it, that could create problems. And that's true for us mentally and emotionally as well. And we have so many tools now, um, to help with that, but we got to utilize them, you know? Yeah, that is so true. I love that. that. Cause that's true. I think sometimes it's like, oh, if you're doing everything right in the gospel, you're going to be happy. You're going to feel good. And sometimes that's not the case. Well, going back to culture versus doctrine, as far as I know, the doctrine is never taught that I have anywhere in the scriptures. Have I ever read that? Oh, you do all these things. You're going to like you're going to be immune from trial. That is not doctrine. That's culture. Like the culture makes us feel like if we do all these things that our life's going to be awesome, we're going to be so rich. We're going to marry the cutest boy, you Mm -hmm. know? And it's like, no, like that's, that's not the case. Like we're going to have trial. And I mean, McKenna and I have, um, maybe McKenna more than me, but like we both struggled with anxiety and, um, and I think both of us at one point, have felt like weak in ways we're like we're better than this like kind of almost thinking mm-hmm. that we're better than anxiety and like we're not the people that get anxious and it's like well what makes us better than anybody else you know mm-hmm. we also have our problems and 
Um, and I mean, I think for me, it's been a humbling experience to kind of be like, okay, you know, like, like you said, this is, I'm in a fallen body and mm-hmm. I'm trying my best and I'm reading my scriptures and I'm working out, but there's just something off yes. and I need professional help to address this. That's right. And there's no shame in that. It's not that you're weak. It's not that, you know, anxiety is, um, I always try to point this out to people. Anxiety is a, a normal part of a human experience. It's, if I'm feeling anxious, it's not like I have the flu not like something's wrong. Like heavenly yeah. father gave us anxiety. It's, it's yeah. one of the emotions it's meant to drive us. Now it can get out of hand. It can be overly active and it can mm-hmm. be again, created by, by chemical things that need to be addressed. But overall, like when my kids tell me they're anxious, I say, yeah, this is the part where you feel anxious. What does it feel yeah. like to be anxious? Just like when they get a cut and they're like, "Ow, my hand hurts. I'm like, yeah, it hurts when you get cut. You know, I like, I don't think it's, yeah. So it's, again, it it does need to be regulated and managed and and we can understand how to better live with anxiety so that it isn't so debilitating, but it's overall, nothing's wrong. Yeah. In most cases. I love that. And my mission president, I'm so grateful for him. He was actually really good at that as well. And had that perspective where I think myself and a lot of missionaries would go to him and be like, I'm just stressed. Like, I don't know what's wrong. You know, I'm feeling anxious. And he's like, yeah, okay. Like you're a little anxious, you know, like, yep. he's like totally normal. Like all humans feel anxiety sometimes. That's he's like, right. I don't think you have anxiety. I don't think it's chronic. I don't think yeah. you really need any special attention. I think you're just a little anxious, you know? Yeah. And so he had such a good perspective on that, which I really that's appreciated because awesome. he was totally just like, yeah, okay. That's okay. You know? Yes. And that's just how it is. And I just love that perspective. Because it's true. Everyone, I think everyone, whether they, you know, struggle like chronically or, you know, in a debilitating way, I don't think that's as common, hopefully. But I mean, there's times when even people that never struggle with mental health feel anxious or feel stressed or feel sad, you know? Yeah. So I think it is just a human experience that we kind of have to work through for sure. Yep. That's (laughs) right. I have a question for you. So I... I'm married, just speaking here, um, and McKenna's in a serious relationship. And I am just curious, like, what would be advice that you would give to people that are married or or as people are dating, kind of like what they should look for or things they should try to work on before they are married? I know you have episodes mm. all about marriage, which I've listened to, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I want to just hear your perspective on that. I need to do one. I just w- went and spoke at a single adult um, conference and I was going to record it for the podcast. I need to do that. But oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I, um, so this is the advice that I kind of wish I had understood when I first was married and dating is we tend to view marriage as, and it's natural to view it this way. It feels like you meet that special someone and it feels like they complete you, right? It, it feels expansive. Um, but after a while, after being married, it starts to feel the opposite of that. It starts to feel in some ways like it's encroaching on your sense of self. Like suddenly I'm obligated to this person or I, I have to do certain things. Um, and that's a, a normal process that relationships go through. But what I think is helpful is to think of it as it's our jobs as individuals to complete ourselves. It's even our jobs to meet our own needs. In the end, there no other person can meet your needs. Only you can. And your relationship with Christ is meant to help complete you. And when you focus on 
completing yourself, then you bring a whole you to that relationship. And ideally, both individuals will do that. And then you'll come together and you'll have something that didn't even exist before that you create as two whole people together. Um, instead of viewing it as we're each sort of broken or empty, we need that other person to, to fill then the void. Yes. And I love that. Yeah. It's just, I, I remember my teacher, Brooke Castillo, teaching me this. She said, no, no, no. I take care of my needs. He takes care of his. And then we just have fun together. And it's not this heavy, like, I need you to complete me in this way or meet my needs. And that's not to say you don't, we don't make requests of each other. That's not to say that, that the other person won't do things that fulfill you, that hopefully that will happen. But we're not counting on that. Mm-hmm. It's our job to complete us. I love that so much because for years, I've always told my friends, I'm like, you have to love yourself before you can love somebody. Because if you're not loving yourself, you don't love who you are. How can you now give love to someone else? You already don't have enough love for yourself. And I mean, I think it's so true. It's like, we're living with our worst enemy all the time, right? Like our biggest critic is ourselves. Like the Mm -hmm. person inside my head that's saying mean things to me, I would never be friends with that person. You know, I would like avoid them like the plague, but like, we're so mean to ourselves. And so I, I love that you said that. Cause, um, I, I, it's so true, like both being independent and then coming together and it's this partnership and you both have your own stuff and you have mm-hmm. stuff together, but you do have your own separate like entities. So I, I love that a lot. Yeah. And I mean, I think about like at bridal showers and things and they'll, you know, they'll always ask the bride, what do you love about him? Tell us what you love about him. And the most common response I hear is, he makes, he loves me so much, or it like, no matter what I do, he loves me, or he just makes me feel so good about myself. That's okay. Again, this is like the normal process of a relationship. I don't mean to say that that's wrong. It's just that that relationship eventually is going to turn into where only you can make you feel good about you. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then from that place, you can love him no matter what. And that is really expansive. And that's the goal is that we love us and we love that other person. And, and really he's just there for us to love. Yeah. And, and then luckily you do get a lot of other great benefits and I'm not talking about letting people mistreat you or anything like that. I'm just saying, stop thinking that that person's going to complete you because that might happen in moments or, or for a time, but eventually it's going to be up to you. And that's again, what the atonement is for. We are completed through the atonement of Christ, not through another human. I love, that. I love that. And going back, I'm kind of sidetracking, but Jess just talked about how we're the meanest to ourselves. Yes. And you had a podcast on this. Correct me if I'm wrong, that <laughs> you were saying you were on a date or something. Uh-huh. Or your friend. I don't remember this. And Tell me. You don't? Okay. I I know it was you. My mom doesn't listen to any other podcast, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this one where you were talking about how, or your friend or someone was on a date and they were saying, oh my gosh, I went on a date with this guy and he was telling me that I was... Oh yes! I should have gone to college, and that. And my mom, Jody, my mom just used this on in her Relief Society lesson on oh, Sunday. Perfect. She yes. literally went and totally just copied you and was like, "I went on a date because she's single," uh-huh. and she was like, "And he told me this." And the little cute Relief Society la- ladies, like the older, younger, were like, "What in the world?" Like they were yeah. just 
freaking out. Yeah, that's a good one. But that, so for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you have to go listen to Jody's episode. Do you know what episode well, it is? I don't know which one it is, but let me give the short version of it. You yes, basically, please. this is yeah, something I use in a talk sometimes where you're, you're like, yeah, I was on a date with this guy and he said, well, I'm not interested in you because you're just not very attractive and you look like you've gained a lot of weight and you don't have anything interesting to say. Right. And yeah. and then people in the audience are just horrified. Like, what? Yes. How, can you imagine anyone seeing that? And then you're like, well, it really wasn't the guy that said that to me. It was me saying that to me. In yes. My and then all of a sudden we're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I can yeah. like we all say things like that. Which and is it's, so mean. So we're shocking. So mean to ourselves. Right? With it. We're like, we're like, yeah, that's me. I called myself fat five times. You know what I mean? Like, we're right. fine with it. That's right. And so when you recognize that, it's like, wait a second, like that working on that relationship with yourself is such important work. It will make every area of your life better. And I do think it's part of the reason we're sent here to earth. It, it helps us become like our heavenly parents. Yeah, I love that. What advice would you have for someone that does have a really mean inner voice? Like, how do you mm -hmm. kind of work through those thoughts? You first become aware that they're just thoughts. Okay. So our thoughts feel like facts to us. They just yeah. feel like, like people will say, I'm not good at this. I've, I've, shouldn't have gained so much weight or whatever. They think they're just telling me about themselves. And I just point out, you're not telling me about you. You're telling me your thoughts about you. Hmm. And that's step one is just separating who you are from your thoughts and you become the observer of those thoughts. It gives you a little bit of distance between them. And, um, and then we start finding some other, I, I like to tell people, let's go from these really specific thoughts to more general thoughts that get us headed in the right direction of more positive thoughts. So for example, um, it might be, I've gained 20 pounds and that's terrible. I shouldn't have gained that weight. Okay. Yeah. That's a specific negative thought, but we can go to a more general positive thought that we still believe like I'm a good person and like bodies all look different and it's possible that that my body is just as healthy at this point as it was 20 pounds ago. Yeah. Like a little bit more general thought that's headed in the direction of positivity. But it really is a process of learning to be the boss of your brain, I always say. Instead mm -hmm. of just listening to everything your brain tells you and let it boss you around, you have to learn to be in charge of your brain and say, okay, settle down. Everything's okay. Thanks for your concern, but I'm okay. And it's what I call managing your brain. That's so interesting. I love that. I love that too, because I feel like that's definitely one of Satan's tools against us is like being our own worst enemy, you know, like right. putting these thoughts in our head of, oh, everybody's thinking this about you when really you're the only person that's thinking about that in your head, you know? And so right. I, and I think especially as women, I mean, I've said this for a long time. I feel like Satan goes after us harder in a lot of ways mm -hmm. um, with our bodies, with um, just being a woman, being, how to manage being a mom and working and, oh, do I work? Do I have kids? You know, I feel like Satan just really pushes out these core values of being a woman mm -hmm. and it's hard to navigate, but I love that you said being the boss of your own brain. Cause I could work on that and pushing those thoughts to the back of my mind and being like, okay, thanks for your input, but not today. I'm fine. You know? And so I, I really yep. love that. Yeah. The voice doesn't go away. You just learn how to answer it. Yeah. Like, all right, settle mom, down. Everything's yeah. fine. You know, my mom always says, don't let that person in the door. 
Like yes. when I'm feeling like anxious, she's like, don't, why are you letting them in your house? Don't let them in the door. Like <laughs> shut the door and tell them to go away. You don't, you can, you don't have to let them in the door. And so I, I've tried to do that. I'm like, get out. I'm like, get out of my house. <laughs> I do this even with my, I have an eight-year-old son who gets really anxious and, and we just um, talk about it as there's like a monkey inside. We're like that monkey. He's just like jumping up and down again, but you just tell the monkey it's okay. Just relax. Everything's fine. These are yeah. all just different ways of like managing your thoughts. Oh, that's so cute. That. That's, that's such a good so like, little cute. analogy. Yeah. <laughs> so we have some questions from okay. our listeners. All right. For you. So one of them asked, how can we forgive ourselves? Mm. I know I was like, ooh, that's kind of a deep one, one, but <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of broad as well, but no, again, sorry to plug my book, but there's a whole chapter on forgiveness in yes. there. Always so you're going to want to get we that. <laughs> but um, the way I teach is that forgiveness is a feeling. And so it comes from our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so if you have thoughts like that's terrible, I can't believe you did that. You never should have done that. Um, then you have to notice those thoughts and notice that they're just thoughts. They're not facts. And the truth is, Every single one of us, a part of the reason we're here on earth is to make mistakes and fall down. Um, Another kind of quick trick I'll give for this one is that the brain wants to stay in the past. It wants to keep replaying the past, thinking about the past, chewing on the past. And that will keep you stuck. That will prevent you from moving forward. Forgiveness happens when we start thinking about the future. Okay. So it may be that we want to keep the thought that thing that I did was wrong. Okay. We can keep that thought, but then if we redirect to, okay, so who do I want to be now? What do I want to do now? What do I want to do going forward? Who do I want to be a year from now? Who do I want to be this week instead of who was I last week, last month, last year? Yeah. And so just shifting to the future, it, again, we use our agency to sin, but we can use that same agency now to decide now what, and that's the point of this life. So I love that. Thank you. Um, one of our other listeners asked, and this is definitely, we could probably have a whole episode about this, but, um, growth after trauma slash abusive marriages. Mm, Yep. Well, there is, um, and, and some of this gets into the realm of clinical, clinical, excuse me, um, therapy, which I am not a therapist, but there is such a thing as a concept that they're teaching called post-traumatic growth, right? Mm-hmm. So we've all heard of post-traumatic stress yeah, yeah, and um, the pain and problems that trauma can cause. That's a real thing, but there is also post-traumatic growth, which is the progression and the, all the benefits that come from healing from trauma. In fact, benefits that that person may not have had they not been through the trauma. And so I would say to dive into that concept if you want to learn more about it. But the idea is that, you know, our, our trials can either make us bitter or better and Mm -hmm. through, um, through help, professional help or guidance from someone that you can become better on the other side. I love that. That's so good. Um, another one, the last one actually was how to successfully achieve goals. And she said, I'm really bad at this. I have too many goals and not good plans. Oh, okay. I love this one. I know. Um, (laughs) I want the answer to this as well. I know me too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, one of the things that I teach is that our brain is motivated by three things. 
number one, it wants to seek pleasure. Number two, it wants to avoid pain. And number three, it wants to save energy. And so if we set a big goal, it's often goes against one or two or all three of those things. So for example, if, if my goal is to do a podcast like you ladies have done, then it, it times, hopefully it will be fun, but there will be times when you don't really feel like recording a podcast, but you have to, because you have it scheduled and you don't have any other time. Right? So that's the brain saying, wait, we're not going to get the pleasure of just doing whatever we'd rather do, watching Netflix or whatever. We're going to be in pain because I don't really feel like doing this right now. And we're not saving energy. We have to like think and we have to find hosts and we have to figure it out. We have to put ourselves out there and subject ourselves to judgment. Like most of our goals go against those three primary motivators. And so just knowing that is, is key because I tell people, even though that's what you're, you're, again, back to the monkey in the brain, that's what your monkey brain wants to do. But you also have the ability to, you have this adult part of your brain that says, well, we can do things even though we don't feel like it in the name of the greater long-term good. And, um, and you have to get good at overriding that part of your brain. So. I love that. That's so helpful. Even for me, I feel like I'm kind of similar. Like I have so many good goals Mm -hmm. that just sit on my notebook for weeks and weeks and they don't really do anything. I think I love what you said about like setting like a big goal. Cause I think mm-hmm. that happens a lot where all of a sudden we get this motivation and we're like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to work out every day at seven. And then I'm going to read my 10 pages of scriptures. And we set like these really great goals, but we almost go like too much. And then mm-hmm. it's not realistic to like keep. And yeah. so something that I've been trying to do, um, which actually has helped with like feeling anxious in my life is setting goals, but setting like achievable goals. Yeah. So like I can say a prayer every day. That's not that hard. Um, it's not that time consuming. I can make a goal to set up one, to say one prayer every day. I'm one of a goal. I can make a goal to read a page of my scriptures or listen Mm -hmm. to a conference talk. So I think setting little goals is a great place to start. So you're not overwhelmed. And then you just give up because I think we've all been there. We're like crash diet. I'm doing the whole 30 and then my experience (laughs) that I went to Wendy's and got chicken fingers. And so, no, it was chilly. That's the best. Jessica did the whole 30 for like maybe not even a day, not even a day. And I was like, well, <laughs> I, just so you guys know, the whole 30 is no sugar, artificial or natural. And yeah. it is. Come ridiculous. on. Who can I live that way? Yes. It's ridiculous. <laughs> this well, was years ago, but it was crazy. And then I like caved and went to Wendy's and got chili. And <laughs> I was, I, I was going to Wendy's and I was like, do you want to come? And she was like, well, yeah, but I'm not going to get anything. I'll just sit in the car. And then even before I started ordering, she's like, give me a chili. And I knew, I knew she was going to do that. But here's the thing. I think I probably did it for like two days, actually. I think it was like a two day, maybe a day and a half. And I lost like a pound and a half. And I was like, well, no wonder I lost weight. I'm not eating anything because there's nothing for me to eat. This is just a starving diet. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that you're describing that, that sabotages us is all or nothing thinking. Yes. Because if we can't do it all, then we're just like, forget it. And we throw the towel in. So really like you're saying, setting small, what I call minimum baseline goals, or just, I just tell myself it doesn't have to be all or nothing, even though my goal might be something more extreme when it comes time to do it. If I can't get myself to, I just, even the other day I was trying to do the dishes and I had a call I had to get on. And so I thought, Oh, I don't have time to do the dishes. Then I realized I have time to load five things into the dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> I could, and, and then it will be a little bit less to do later, yeah. slightly cleaner. 
but my brain doesn't like that. It's like, we don't yeah. have time to do all the dishes. And I'd love to push myself outside of that all or nothing thinking in situations like that. I'm like, let's just load five things in and then walk away and yeah. watch my brain freak out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it does, it does freak out. Yeah. I think the mind is so powerful too. Like our minds control it. They can literally make us have physical pain. You know, like yeah. when you're anxious, you can literally feel physical pain and yeah. there's nothing inherently wrong physically, but your mind is making you. And so it's a really weird concept as a human to be like, it's just in my head. It's just in my head. Like mm -hmm. I'm not having physical pain, you know? That's right. Well, I mean, it's our thoughts create our feelings, but our emotions do happen in our bodies. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard to differentiate like pain, you know, like we think of a sensation of pain from an emotion of pain, things like hunger and fatigue. Like, am I really hungry or am I bored? Am I really tired or do I, do I just not want to be in school right now? You know, yeah. like it's, it's a fine line. That <laughs> is so true. I love that. Oh, yeah. we love that. Is there anything else you want to talk about or any other advice you have for anything we've talked about? I, I would just like to say, <clears throat> excuse me, I just coughed a little, um, just like on an ending note, I would love for you to like, kind of just share your testimony for our listeners. If you're comfortable with that. Sure. Um, <laughs> I'll just say that, you know, my work that I do as a coach with um, understanding the brain and emotions and everything has been life changing for me. But um, many of the other coaches that I associate with and that I, I've learned with and am still very close to and love, they don't have, um, they don't just, they just don't share my belief about the gospel and the doctrine of the church. They have their own worldviews in that way. And I seriously just feel like having the gospel as a foundation has made it all so much more powerful. So for example, most all the coaches that I know teach that our value is um, just set and that we're all worthy and amazing and whole and complete. Like they, all the ones I can think of agree with that but they don't understand why they don't know that that's because we are um, children of heavenly parents who created us. And so that's why that's true. And I just find that having that belief as the foundation of it all, again, just sort of elevates the power of it in my life. And so I'm, I'm truly grateful for it. And I'm grateful to still be learning and that my testimony is still growing. And it, it's just an awesome journey to be on. Oh, amen. amen. We always do a little amen at the end of our episode. Amen. We love it. Amen. <laughs> amen. 